the details that we actually know are about 3.48 a.m. There's uh-huh. a, a car that mm-hmm. pulls up with a, presumably a driver yep. and a, a guy jumps out of it, um, runs into the, the Palais Royale or okay. actually the Palace Cafe specifically, okay. uh, drops some bombs and leaves. Wild. It's an enormous explosion uh-huh. that's felt as far away as Mishawaka. Wow. Uh, there's a night watchman uh, working somewhere in Mishawaka who uh-huh. reports that he, it felt like an earthquake in Mishawaka. You heard that there. That is Aaron Hellman, local author and historian, talking about the sheer power of the blast from a 1935 bombing at the Palais Royale building at the corner of Michigan and Colfax in downtown South Bend. More of that later, but first, thank you for listening to another episode of Round the Bend Now and Then. My name is Matt Emery, and I'm a local history nerd. My main mission in this podcast, as well as other Round the Bend material, is to create engaging content that shares how intertwined the South Bend and Mishawaka area's past is to our present. I interview local leaders, business owners, and community members to help tell their stories, because their stories help tell the story of South Bend and Mishawaka. Before we get to the interview, I just have a few simple favors. One is to be sure that you hit the download, like, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app that you listen to us on. Another favor is to follow us on social media, at RoundTheBendPod or at RoundTheBend574 on Twitter, RoundTheBend now and then on Facebook, and now on YouTube where I'm starting to dabble in some visual content as well. I have a few new videos that include some cool historical pictures, maps, newspaper articles, and narration by yours truly. All of those links are in the show notes as well. My last favor is to please just pass on the good word about the content. Now, let's dive into another interview that helps tell the story of South Bend and Mishawaka. In this episode, I meet with local author and historian Aaron Hellman. I wanted to talk to him specifically about one of the chapters in one of his newer books about our local history, Ride the Jackrabbit. He wrote a chapter about a 1935 gangland-style bombing that took place right in the heart of downtown South Bend. At the corner of Michigan and Colfax at the Palace Cafe, which is the ground floor of the Palais Royale building. For a reference point, Fat Bird Restaurant is currently in the same space where the Palace Cafe was at. I start the episode out by asking him a little bit about himself and how we got into local history and what made him decide to publish books about it. Then, our listeners will learn about the wild 1935 bombing story that seems like it should have happened in the Chicago gangland era of Al Capone. But nope. It happened right here in good old downtown South Bend. And folks, as you'll learn, this bombing was a big deal. It dominated the local news for months and created quite the intrigue from local citizens. And as I learned from Aaron, the South Bend police still officially consider the bombing an open and unsolved case. So sit back and have a blast as you'll explode with intrigue when you learn all about that next during my interview with local author and historian, Aaron Hellman. Well, hey, Aaron, thank you for joining us. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you went to high school and all that good stuff? 
Yeah, so my name's Aaron Hellman. Mm-hmm. I am a 2002 graduate of LaSalle High School. And oh, wait it, a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is that the last graduating class or was 03? No, that's the last graduating class. Oh, nice. Okay. So that's what, uh, for a long time, that's what I was most famous for probably was being the last graduating class at LaSalle High School. But I'm born and bred South Bend, been here my whole Uh life and uh, have worked in nonprofits in the area forever. Yeah. And uh, during COVID, Mm -hmm. I ended up writing my first local history book. Okay. It's called Incomplete History of St. Joseph County. Mm-hmm. And uh, then just this past September, released Ride the Jackrabbit. More of the people, places, and events that make Michiana fascinating. And I'm going to tell you, I haven't read the, the first one. Uh, I've read almost every story in here. I love it. I love the way that kind of have a little sense of humor with it. It's engaging. It's not dry at all. And, and you can really hear a voice. You can hear your voice in it. And so that's definitely definitely a good one. Yeah, I had a friend tell me the problem with most history books is uh-huh. that they're written by historians. Um, and so a lot of True. people don't like it. And I'm indebted to historians of who course. wrote boring books. Because right. I went through a lot of those to do the research for this. Uh-huh. But then when I wrote it, I said, I don't want to I don't want to write a history. My first book was called An Incomplete History for okay. a Reason. I wasn't trying to like write a history book. I yes. was trying to write a book of stories that mm-hmm. people would want to read mm-hmm. and make them want to learn more. Folks. I highly encourage anyone who is interested in our local history to check out his books. He has two of them focused on South Bend, Mishawaka, and St. Joe County history. Ride the Jackrabbit, and as he mentioned, the incomplete history of St. Joseph County. His writing style is very informative, engaging, and what I love about it is he sprinkles in a sense of humor throughout. He also has a new children's book coming out as well on the southernmost bend, a beginning history of South Bend. The trailer for that book shows some neat examples of the text and illustrations that I must say looks phenomenal. I put the link to his website in the show notes, so be sure to support Aaron and his books. And and as I'm reading this, this is kind of like what I'm doing with the podcast, just different mediums. I mean, just little smaller stories and smaller episodes, or in your case, chapters. Um, you, it's evergreen. I mean, you can read. The chap the, the the it won't change, you know what I'm t- saying? It's not like it's current events. So I can read chapter 28 first and then jump to one or something. Same with the podcast. You can listen to episode 18 and then episode two. And so it's it's good, definitely. Hey, how did you get into to local history and and um just the the history of our area? That's a great question. So uh-huh. um it must have been 2020. I think it was during COVID. Okay. Very beginning of COVID. Uh-huh when uh maybe when the library kind of first opened Mm -hmm. i remember there were no chairs you couldn't sit but you could go (laughs) find a book and so i found this book called the bone and the sinew of the land and i picked it up because it had a a great title Uh i mean that's why i picked up that book yeah and uh, i read through it and it was about the experience of african-american pioneers moving into the west when indiana illinois michigan was was the west okay And so there was a map Mm -hmm. that had all the known African-American settlements. And there was one dot in St. Joseph County. It's down by Potato Creek. Really? Yeah, a place called the Huggert Settlement. Huh. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'd never heard of it in Uh my life. Even though, like I said, I grew up here and went to school here. 
Um, every February had African American history. Right. Never, never learned that somehow. No. Right. And so again, it was it was COVID. We couldn't do anything. Correct. But one thing I could do was ride my bike. So I was riding my yes. bike everywhere. Okay. And one day I decided to go down there. Yeah. Rode my bike down uh-huh. to the Huggert settlement. Uh, there's a historical marker off of the off of Highway Four. And you okay. never see it in a car because mm-hmm. it's set back. You're probably doing and you're 60 going sixty miles. whizzing. Yeah. Okay, um, but I went down there, checked it out, and I thought, "Wow, this is fascinating really? stuff." I wonder if there's more fascinating stuff. Yeah, and I of found course. enough to write two books about it. That's insane. Speaking of writing the book, did you look for think stories that maybe nobody else might not have known about? Like, kind of not as much Studebaker and Oliver, or or stories that you wanted to learn more about or how how did you pick the stories for the books so so the first book i really did try to do a sketch of each town in the county okay. so south bend walkerton north okay. liberty and then uh people ask me you know when's the sequel coming out and uh-huh. i would be like i don't know if i'm gonna write a yeah. sequel um but it's not I, COVID again. <laughs> yeah. After I wrote that first book, I started getting emails from people or I'd meet people at events and yeah. they'd say, hey, uh, great book. Uh-huh. But, you know, you should have talked about Playland Park. Oh, okay. Or, hey, did you know about this yeah. thing that happened? And I would just start writing these down. Like, yep. I'll look into that. And after I did enough of that, I had a, a, a second book's worth of material. That's the same thing that has happened with this podcast. I frequently get people emailing or messaging about some possible episode ideas. Some of our more popular episodes have been from random people that I don't even know, reaching out and suggesting that I interview somebody to help tell a certain story. So folks, keep the ideas coming. If you know of anyone who would be willing to come on the show to help tell a story from our past, let me know. And and so... Your natural curiosity also, since you didn't know a lot about the stuff, you're learning as you go too. Yeah, yeah. And I I say to people all the time, like, uh, everything's fascinating if you're curious enough. Yeah. Um, So you can go down to Walkerton and Uh they have like a fantastic local history section in Walkerton, Indiana. Yeah. And if you're curious enough, like Walkerton becomes fascinating. If you could meet anybody from Michiana's past and hang out with them for a day, who would that be? Gosh, that's a, that's a phenomenal <laughs> question. So like Skylar Colfax would be a fascinating okay. one. I would love to know what went on there. But uh-huh. um, I think I'd actually go with Lathrop Taylor. Um, okay. So he's one of the two co- co-founders of mm-hmm. South Bend, often credited that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that we hear the least about. Um, but whereas like Alexis Coquillard has a kind of a bigger name in yes. history. Uh, he died early. Taylor um, did? Uh, no, Quiller, oh, Quiller died because he fell. And, so, yeah, I yeah. fell and hit his head. So, yeah. uh, But Taylor was around okay. a lot longer. Uh-huh. Um, and he, more than Coquiller, got to see this place go uh-huh. from like a trading post into the beginnings of what would become a city. And uh-huh. I, I would love to hear something about that. That would be neat seeing it go. Yeah, literally seeing it from just a trading post to industry forming mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, Man, is there something in our area's past that you're kind of looking to learn more about right now? Or I don't know. Always looking to learn. Just always. Um, and it always seems to find me. Uh-huh. Um, but like I said, it, as long as you're curious, everything's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so I am particularly fascinated right now with the year 1940 okay. in the history of South Bend, which might be okay. like that's kind of 
Studebaker hasn't really started its decline yet. Okay. Um, it's pretty close to like peak population of South Bend. Yeah. Um, Pre World War II yep. and the Great Depression. Yeah. So like Babe Ruth comes in 1940. Okay. Um, yep. The the Gipper movie premieres in 1940 at okay. theaters throughout South Bend. Absolutely. And phenomenal, well received. <laughs> yeah. Phenomenal picture in this book yeah. of of Michigan Street during the packed. premiere. Absolutely packed. Packed. I mean, tens of thousands yep. of people. It's. Yep. I would just love to see South Bend like at that. I height. know. I know. Up and down Michigan Street at that time. Oh. <laughs> All right, we will get into the uh, the bombing of the palace. One of my favorites. One of your favorites. And before we dive into that, uh, old newspapers in general. You talk about throughout throughout the book. It's one of your the main. It, actually, for my research, it's pretty much the only way I research because it's at my fingertips at any time, like newspapers.com and stuff. Um, we now think you know we we now you can hop on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, and there's we're just inundated with drama with negativity rumors crazy stories but i'm telling you when you open up those old newspapers back in the day there's still drama sensational stories but they're just w- much more articulate and well written much more articulate <laughs> when you dive in those old newspapers just in general what are your thoughts um looking at old newspapers is maybe my favorite thing in the world uh-huh. so my daughter addison is 10 and uh, one of her favorite things is we'll go into the microfilm room at the library mm-hmm. and she'll pick an old newspaper. Okay. Um, sometimes it'll be like from 100 years ago today uh-huh. or sometimes it's just at random. Yeah. And we'll just look through it. Yeah. And, and see what we see. And uh, one of the chapters in this book is about the Hungarian history of South Bend. I haven't read that one yet. That chapter came about because of a random microfilm that she pulled. Really? And we were looking through it and there was a little story that I was like, whoa, hang on a second. Uh-huh. Let's read this. And then I was I started taking notes and uh dove into that and found a whole chapter out of it. South Bend, Indiana, 1935. And you mentioned in the chapter, you said there's if you opened up the newspaper, they'd be reading about Dillinger, Capone, the Lindbergh baby. But January 10th, 1935 at Colfax in Michigan, to our listeners the Morris is right nearby, but the restaurant, the Fatbird restaurant is there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened one early morning, 3.48 a.m. to be exact, what happened that kind of rocked the, the city? So uh, the details that we actually know are about 3.48 a.m. There's uh-huh. a, a car that mm-hmm. pulls up with a, presumably a driver yep. and a, a guy jumps out of it um, Runs into the the Palais Royale, or okay. actually the Palace Cafe specifically. Okay. Uh, drops some bombs and leaves. Wild. And uh, the only um, like quote that we have is that uh, the bombs explode, and it's it's an enormous explosion uh-huh. that's felt as far away as Mishawaka. Wow. Uh, there's a night watchman uh, working somewhere in Mishawaka who uh-huh. reports that he, it felt like an earthquake in Mishawaka. Wow. So uh, there were three devices. They all blew up. The The bomber yells, Woo, that was a honey. Just <laughs> a very 1935 thing to uh, say. <laughs> yep, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and they leave. And they, they escape. And uh-huh. they do not get caught. Um, the bomber 
never gets caught. And so that's wild. The investigation begins. And before we dive in just to the whole investigation, which gets much more dramatic, as, as you could tell, just the immediate aftermath, you had written a dozen businesses had their windows shattered. I mean, close by, a, this Dixie frock shop was decimated. I mean, looters and souvenir hunters snatched things. I mean, merchandise in every direction, you said, on Michigan and Colfax. And the damage was 150 grand, which is over three mil today. Could you imagine if something like that happened now? With oh all my these gosh. cell phones and stuff and everything? I mean, we're ta- what we're talking about is, I mean, this doesn't quite meet the threshold of a, of a terrorist. Correct. Because it right. wasn't, you know, terror motivated. But, I mean, if bombs went off downtown, I, it would be yes. everything. Be headline news across the country, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow, that's crazy. Um, but then right off the bat, at the same, you had written at the same time that, uh, um, the the actual authorities were investigating. There were amateur sleuths, and there were uh, investigative journalists were surmising what they thought happened. Um, and I could just imagine today, same thing on Facebook comments, this and that. Oh yeah, it's same not thing. different. Yeah, just a different <laughs> medium. 90, 90 years ago, but the same thing. Um, all right. Now you speaking of the investigation, I love this. You wrote the whole affair would prove to be difficult. Uh, to be a difficult investigation and not because they didn't have any suspects. It was because they had too many. <laughs> yeah. And the first one you wrote about was a rowdy group of musicians? Yeah. So um, the the Palace Cafe mm-hmm. had live music. Okay. And the, the owner was a guy named uh, James Stasinos. Uh-huh. And he was hiring non-union musicians. So the, the union was protesting. The okay. union musicians were protesting um, the Palace Cafe. Right, right. Um, that night, before the bombs go off, uh-huh. there's rowdy unionist musicians in mm. front of the cafe mm. picketing. And you also got to understand, like, about the 30s, like, sometimes militant unionists bombed things. Absolutely. Like, that was not a violence. thing that it was violence. didn't happen. Yeah, yes. I mean, it happened at the LA Times. People died. Wow. So there were headlines in the paper you know, national headlines about um, union activists blowing up buildings. Uh, So that's the first thing that that people start whispering about Uh is we saw these angry people. We saw angry people with signs yelling at the guy outside the building. Five hours or three hours before it exploded. Yeah. So that's 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 one of the first leads that they have. Uh huh. That's. That's something else. And you're exactly right. We think unions now, I mean, they've been so watered down over the years, but at that time it was baseball bats, you know, picket lines, and it was serious. Yeah. And it, it went both ways, obviously, because yes. the people breaking up the unions would bomb things and shoot God. you. And yeah. Unbelievable. Oh, and then another theory that came about, um, that you mentioned that it didn't come from the underbelly of the Chicago streets or hoodlum informant, that it came from the accountants. That they had, uh, um, accountants had dug up some dirt on how they thought the owner and business partners or something like that. Yeah, so they dug into the finances Uh of the business. Um, You know, so this is just people with whatever the 1935 version of Excel spreadsheets was. And they found out um, that there was uh, there were these two business partners, Stasinos 
and Zagoras. Uh-huh. And uh, they had an ugly falling out. Okay. So Stasino stayed in charge of the restaurant, mm-hmm. but this this other guy was mad and he mm-hmm. was angry and he had been vocal mm-hmm. about how angry he was at feeling like he'd been forced out yeah. of ownership of his restaurant. Uh-huh. So now Zagoras is also a subject because he's angry at the current management of his old restaurant. <laughs> That's nuts, man. And again, folks, 1935, we, we don't we don't have these cell phones out. We don't have cameras. We don't have everything being captured. We don't have surveillance. We don't have any of that. You know, heck, TV isn't even hardly around. Yeah, we have know. theories. Yeah, theories. Yeah. That's it. Oh, then you had mentioned the uh, the owner, James Stasinos. That's how you pronounce it, I'd say. Yep, yep. Uh, he had deep connections in Chicago, but then the direction, then, then all the attention went to him. Yeah. So the next guy they start investigating is Stasinos, the, yeah. the current owner. Uh-huh. And they find out that he is deeply, deeply, deeply in debt. Mm-hmm. That the restaurant is not being profitable for him. Right. But he does have a sizable bomb insurance policy <laughs> um, like specific to bombing uh, he had t- I, that was a policy you could get you know yeah. you could bundle your home auto and bombing uh, <laughs> all by calling the 1935 version of Jake from State Farm <laughs> and uh and so now they're looking at him uh-huh. so we've got we've got three real yeah. suspects angry Correct. musicians a jilted former owner yep. and a current owner who's completely underwater and just made sure to take out bomb insurance and uh, eventually the the feds come in and uh-huh. the investigation really starts to focus in on James Stasinos the yep. current owner mm-hmm. of the establishment okay um there are rumors that he's got ties to the Chicago mob mm-hmm. Uh, there's a real shady character who claims that he saw Stasinos meeting with other real shady characters. Uh-huh, okay. And when it goes to trial, uh-huh. it's Stasinos who's on the stand. Right. Uh, the union musicians and his former business partner are are cleared via okay. alibi or, or whatever. Right. And now they're they're trying to prosecute Stasinos. Trying to prosecute Stasinos. Didn't they say the the bomb also was? Um, stereotypical or typical of a Chicago style bomb. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't you want to know what that yeah. means? <laughs> <laughs> Probably uh, tons of bombings in Chicago. It is just it's similar, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, but that was interesting there too. It, it's just still all wild. South Bend, Indiana, right on Michigan and Colfax, mm-hmm. all this going on. Um, we talk, you mentioned the trial. We talk about drama and big trials now in different cities. Uh, it seems as if this was pretty dramatic too. Well, of course. The trial? It, yeah, of course it was. A hundred um, witnesses? A hundred witnesses. Unbelievable. Uh, so much testimony, so many days. You know, uh, I hate to be, say that it was like South Bend's version of the OJ yeah. trial, but there are some similarities in that it was hard for them to find a jury oh. because everyone who was, you know, a, a candidate to be on the jury had already heard so much from right. the newspaper, from right. their neighbors. Um, so by the time they finally get a jury and uh-huh. go to trial, it turns into this uh, high drama fiasco. Yeah. It's the lead of the newspaper every single day. Who That's testified? Crazy. What did they say? What uh-huh. do the experts think is going to happen? Um, the newspaper comes out and people are waiting, you know, with bated breath to open this thing to yeah. see what happened in the Stasinos trial today. Yeah. 
that's wild. It's it's again, 90 years later, we have the same stuff going on today. You know, mm-hmm. sensationalized and but but this is I mean this is dead serious, man. I mean, people could have died. Uh, I mean, this is right in the heart of our city. At the time, Michigan Street wasn't the Michigan Street we know now. Michigan Street was the the what two mile long of nothing but retail and theaters, and it was it was a legit jumping place. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, the outcome of the trial, the jury only took three hours to deliberate. The jury only took three hours to deliberate. After a hundred witnesses? <laughs> After all of that. So uh, the prosecution just kept pulling people who couldn't quite prove that mm-hmm. Stasinos was connected. Okay. They'd say, you know, they'd have a shady guy say, hey, I saw him with some other shady guys. Yeah. And then the, the defense would be like, you know, this guy's been in jail for 10 years, yes. eight times. So maybe we shouldn't trust everything that he just says. Uh-huh. Um, and then the the defense also said, why didn't they look into the musicians? You know, that seems more likely. So, mm-hmm. so what they were doing is, is just planting a reasonable doubt. Absolutely. Um, there Absolutely. was no defense. I mean, the guy wasn't at the scene. We yep. know he didn't do the bombing. Mm-hmm. Someone hired bombers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in order to make him guilty, it's yep. not enough to say he had bomb insurance. He benefited from it. Which you have crazy. to all circumstantial. You have to prove that he yes. hired these people, and, yes. the, and they couldn't do it. And the defense you had written had an answer for everything. Answer everything. for everything. Every witness yeah. that they brought up was troublesome. Yeah. Every um, theory that they provided was circumstantial, and uh-huh. in the end, Stasinos gets off in three um, hours. In three hours personally shakes the hand of each juror <laughs> and thanks them uh, after the trial is over, which I don't know if that's a thing. It doesn't feel like that should be a thing. Probably but not, but hey. It was. Hey, <laughs> he did. Was the trial, did it get, I don't remember reading it or not, Did it? was it in St. Joe County or did it get moved? No, it was here. Oh, man, the, so it would have been at the court, yeah, the courthouse now, the, yep. the 1920-something courthouse. Yeah, at the wow. courthouse. So, so you can imagine what, what a big news story this two is. Two blocks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, two blocks from the bombing. Yeah, so every day yeah. in newspapers across the country, like, they're reporting on national news. Yep. And all the national news gets pushed to the second page in South because Bend. Because of this. Because of this story. The better part of six, nine months. Wow. It was it was a big deal. So mm-hmm. it would be today, it would be something where it's all on our TV, it's all on our phones. WNDU, WSBT, South Bend Tribune. Wow, that's a big deal. Uh, but the courtroom drama uh, wasn't it because he sued the insurance company to get paid that bomb insurance money, right? He did. So the <laughs> insurance company didn't want to pay out. Right. Um, and they looked for every excuse not mm-hmm. to pay out, which right. is which is what insurance companies did at the time, and uh-huh. you know still do sometimes oh, today, yeah, I suppose. Uh-huh. Uh, so they tried not to pay out. Uh-huh. Um, they were really hoping, obviously, for a guilty verdict, right? Because then they wouldn't have then to they pay w- out automatic. Right. But they didn't get it. They dragged their feet. Um, so he had to take the insurance company to court in order to get his payout. And then once he finally got the payout, uh-huh. he decided to open another restaurant hold on the name of it is classic is it the nip and sip it's the nip and sip yes (laughs) Uh, you probably don't have memories of going there no i don't (laughs) uh it it had some false starts um it uh opened it was supposed to be like a pub Uh um 
he had a lot of trouble getting a liquor license because of his reputation as like understand a quasi mobster slash bomber yeah. guy with with ties to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so there was very little um, in the government to stop him from opening a restaurant. I mean, he could open an establishment, but uh-huh. one thing they could control is whether or not he the got liquor. a liquor license. The nip and sip. <laughs> so the nip and sip opened uh, without a liquor license. Um, he may have served some liquor without a liquor right, license. Right. He, the, the restaurant failed uh-huh. and he went to Florida. Moved to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The name, the nip and sip. Um, so what do you think happened? Have you have you uh, came to a conclusion, or are you just going to leave it leave it out there? Uh, when I started to write this chapter, uh-huh. I had it in my head like I'm going to put my detective hat on, okay, and I'm going to solve this. Thing. Okay, yeah, with all the volume volumes mm-hmm. of newspapers and articles and this and that, right? So uh, I didn't solve it. <laughs> I did not, but. Uh, I think the most likely thing um, for me uh-huh. is that Stasinos was guilty. Yeah, and if his if his great grandchildren out there listening to this, like I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're sorry, um, great grandchildren. But I agree. <laughs> but it really feels like it. Yeah. Um, I, the the union musician theory doesn't hold any water. Mm-hmm. Um, because the the cafe employed non union musicians, but the theater right was right there, which yeah. is where they all performed. It was their money maker. So they would never bomb right. their money maker. Yep. Um, I don't know what the old owner stood to gain from bombing it, and uh, his alibi was the most airtight. Uh-huh. And again, like I'm not from 1935, right? Um, so I don't know how common it was for people to say things to their insurance agent, like make sure I get a bombing policy. Right. <laughs> that that feels weird. Yes. That feels um, mighty weird. The I can tell you that the the um, police department mm-hmm. still considers the case to be open and unsolved. Really? Wow, that's neat. Yeah, well, it, it is. It's never been solved and it will never be solved and it will always be open. Mm-hmm. That that's nuts. Um I I did not dive deep into the newspapers with this one. Um, but I did just just a little bit um, off the top. I think I read this in the newspaper uh, that they were playing in the aftermath of of that pre TV, pre everything. But they still had they could still make film. They were playing the newsreel of the aftermath at their Granada, like they were advertising that. Yeah, you could come see the the newsreel <laughs> yes. of someone walking up and down the street yeah. with like looters uh, uh just picking up stuff God, and i want to see that i wonder where i can get my hands on that probably impossible but probably way gone how would you like to be one of the looters though you know like some building just blew up and yeah. you snatched a watch and now there's a movie of you stealing that's a, watch. a good point <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's the the pre of taking cell phones out and getting you know yeah getting recorded now and getting caught so the the other businesses the tangential businesses they all got their insurance payouts so there was no really? incentive for them to like track down the people who okay picked up the detritus from the road because they got paid for their lost merchandise regardless right so right looting i guess was okay at that point and besides they had bigger fish to fry you know they weren't yes. so worried with who who picked up something off of the street they wanted to know who who dropped the bomb who bombed it you know and i'm for the life of me i can't think of another instance like that that i've researched or seen or heard of in our city i can't 
think of another like bombing. No, I mean, obviously there have been, you know, terrible fires. Oh, God, there's been fires, there's been fights and murders mm-hmm. and but robberies, but I'm, a bombing. A bombing. <laughs> that's just wild. And that building, I mean, that's a very historic building to our downtown. I mean, that's one of the anchors of our downtown right there. The 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 palace, the Palais Royale, the palace, the the Morris. I mean, the Morris could have been heavily damaged. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, whoever did it didn't want to hurt anyone. Um, because of the 3 a.m. Yeah. thing? Okay. Went off at 3.48 yeah. in the morning. Um, so it was just to destroy the physical property. place. <laughs> Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Round the Bend Now and Then. An extra special thanks to Aaron Hellman for joining us and sharing the story behind the bombing at the Palace Theater. People, head to his website in our show notes, AaronHellman.com, and check out his books. I promise you won't be disappointed. And while you're on the interweb, be sure to follow Round the Bend now and then on all of our socials and check out the new YouTube channel for a few cool new videos. Join us again next time and learn more about South Bend and Mishawaka's now and then.